Hello, my name is Stephen Dunn, and you're listening to the Hellenistic Christendom Podcast, Philosophy for Understanding Theology. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Hellenistic Christendom Podcast, and I'd like to briefly just kind of share my testimony today, or how it is I came to the faith, or to Christianity. Which, specifically, you know, there's a lot of value, I think, that there could be had in in one sharing their testimony. But one thing that stands out to me is that Christians or believers probably sometimes don't see the value or the insights that exist within their own testimony. And so I really would encourage that they tell these stories and their testimonies how they came to the faith. Because there may be a sort of value or internal evidence, even, if you will, for how one understands, knows, and loves God, um, how they understand their relationship with God, and what impact that could have on somebody who doesn't really quite understand the faith or who might be opposed to it, and didn't think about it in the way that you may have described, given your experiences, etc. So, to start with my testimony, I'll try and keep this as brief as possible, and usually my episodes are pretty brief, brief, so you'll get over it, but um, I always start my story of how I came to Christianity with sort of my background and my family, which sort of long story short, it's a secular home, or excuse me, it was a secular home, I mean, it still is, but um, we didn't talk about religion for or against, we didn't have conversations about what religion meant, or who God was, how we came to be, and stuff like that, we were, me and my brother, Kevin, were just sort of left to our own, and kind of like those John Lockean sort of blank slates, um, just kind of left to interact with the world, and consume our own material, I guess, and content, as to how we approached the world and what we thought. So, long story short, after a while, about 11 or 12 years old, I start professing myself to be uh, an explicit atheist, which I say explicit because it wasn't like a vague sort of, I'm not sure, or I don't know about God, or even a humble, I don't even know what to think, because I never thought about these things before. (laughs) I was in direct opposition to God, and I, I remember thinking that Adam and Eve was a myth, that people believing God to exist, at least as the Bible understood him to exist, um, was just a matter of wishful thinking, their own imagination, and etc. They're really just taking an extra step than what they need to. And science is all that we need to account for the natural world. Now, that's not so articulate in itself, but, and I wouldn't have articulated it in that kind of way, but that primordial sort of view of the world is what I took up. I remember debating the Adam and Eve sort of creation story with my parents. I remember having conversations with Kevin where, you know, sometimes when we talk about this story, um, there was one time where we were sitting at a table across from one another and I had a a piece of paper in between us. And on the paper, I drew a line right down the middle. And on on one side, I put Santa Claus. On the other, I put God. And I said, can you just tell me what differences there are between Santa Claus existing and God existing, at least as you understand him? And what was really, what was very revealing to me about that sort of conversation, at least that, for example, given one of many conversations, was that I was thinking about existence in that kind of way. I mean, like I said, it was very primordial and sort of naive, and it didn't really know what to think. But it interested me that there was something within me that wanted to think about existence a little bit better, but I couldn't see otherwise. And so, due to pride and youth and naivety, I just kind of went one way. And then there were other instances that kind of popped up, I think, that kind of oriented me towards a sort of later Christian view. You know, just to kind of sidetrack for just a moment, I remember being in the car with an ex-girlfriend, which, if she's listening to this, 
she's going to know who it is, <laughs> given the timeline I'm providing. But we were in the car one time and driving along, and we're having a conversation about something. I don't really, really remember what it was or why I said what I said, so don't ask. But I said something to the effect of being together for a long time or being together at some point in the future in the context of being married or something like that. And then she said, she kind of laughed when I said that phrase and said, she goes, I'm not going to marry you. Why would I marry you? Like, that's, that's years down the line. Why are we talking marriage? And what was curious to me is that I had this response. I didn't, I've never thought about this in detail before. I've never, I've never sat down and thought about relationships in a detailed kind of way. But once she said that, something within me immediately responded with, and I said this out loud. I said, well, then why are we together? If our relationship is not going to have this long-term kind of circumstance, why are we, what are we doing now? We're just playing around. And that was very curious to me because I espoused a view that I hadn't really articulated before. And I, I think there are instances in, in my sort of conversion story like that, that pop up in little subtle ways that kind of are sort of ways in which my spirit is kind of scratching at me. And I didn't really know what to make of it until, and this is where the story kind of shifts, I started paying a little bit more attention in my 10th grade world history class, which was um, the class that changed my life. And I, I am thankful that I had enough sense to muster up the courage and the sort of articulate language to finally thank uh, that teacher, Mr. Mobley is his name, um, for um, kind of awakening me to... Uh, or at least uh, in, in that sort of Kantian sense, uh, I was awoken from my uh, dogmatic slumbers. Which, um, so to make a long story short there, I attended a lecture on the Protestant Reformation, which we started talking about predestination, John Calvin, Martin Luther, etc. And he sort of gave a crude presentation of pre predestination, which according to this sort of di naive definition, he said was sort of God choosing who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Man doesn't have free will, and et cetera, et cetera. And I just remember walking away from that lecture angry because I thought, well, if God exists, he doesn't, he doesn't suspend people's will when it comes to salvation. He, he, he leaves it up to the human person to decide for themselves if they will choose him uh, or not. So this, there's, there's obviously free will. How can you say there's not? And when the story gets crazy is when I go home and I start talking to Kevin about this, which he had his own sort of conversion experience back in 2000, uh, 2007. Uh, he was baptized his senior year of high school, I believe. So that's when he graduated. So I think he was baptized in 2007, graduated 2007. So putting two together. Anyway, um, so despite our secular household, Kevin kind of goes that direction and he kind of stands as his own sort of light in the family little weird, at least from my perspective, because I'm like, okay, I don't really know what to make of it. And then fast forward to about 2012, 2011, something like that. Anyway, so I go home and start talking to him about this, and I find out that he's a Calvinist, that he's espousing the view that I just learned in my world history class. And so despite me not even being a believer yet, me and Kevin start bumping heads on this Calvinism issue, which no, no fault to him, of course, but just, you don't want to debate Calvinism with someone who is becoming a believer or just really isn't because they don't adhere to the authority of the Bible, which is very strange that an atheist is arguing against the Calvinist. 
Um, so it's very peculiar that I took up a sort of Christian position without being a Christian. And really the result of that, and this is to me kind of like, it's sort of comical to me in, in my relationship with God. Um, and I, I mean that in a kind of cute way. <laughs> because God literally prepared the way for me to pick up a Bible and start reading the Gospels so I could refute Calvinism, which kind of was the goal at first. So I, I pick up the Gospels for the first time, and I'm reading through Matthew, and I come across Matthew 16, I believe. Matthew 15 or 16. I think it's 16. Which, this is my favorite verse in the Bible, which, so don't hate me that I'm <laughs> not getting that right. But, um, of course, this is the first time we see Peter, or Simon at the time, uh, declaration that Jesus... Um, is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, you are the Messiah, he says, and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, um, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, uh, which was amazing to me, because that was, I was able to see the declaration that Peter made there, and I would come to understand this now, for those of you that know your Kierkegaard, this was kind of the awakening in the world of spirit, or this is the first time that we see a kind of synthesis of the self as self, that, that moment, right, that Kierkegaard talks about. And that was for the first time I saw the moment, and it was amazing. And I've always approached my faith in that, in that kind of way. And so once that verse kind of fell down my soul like a penny down a well, I, I was involved and delved into Christianity with absolutely every fiber of my being. And I started to dive into the creation and evolution debate, just kind of as a side issue, I guess, and started to look into the science issue in a little more detail and see, okay, well, what's this business of evolution and what do Christians have to say about this issue? And I was amazed. Um, Christians, it turns out, aren't so much idiots when it comes to science, which, you know, it's funny I say that because I eventually came to, I first came to a young earth creationist perspective. I went from an atheist and when I converted to Christianity, I was a, a staunch Calvinist, young earth creationist. Earth was created in 6,000 years, the whole universe probably about a few thousand years before that. I mean, we're talking biblical literalist. Um, anyway. <laughs> so I eventually came away from that view, and um, I eventually pursued a degree in philosophy and science, which, um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of... I would call myself uh, probably a theistic evolutionist, um, agnostic, so to speak, or just really an agnostic in general on the evolution question. And that's not because I'm throwing my hands in the air or anything like that. That's that's a that's an epistemological position that took me a long time to get to. Which, anyway, moving on. Let's see. Actually, where was I in the story? I suppose... Okay, so I start reading the Bible more, and I start to wrestle, of course, with Scripture in a real way. I'm not really talking about... Um, the big questions yet insofar as the arguments for God's existence and stuff like that, what this whole business is behind the soul, immortality, and stuff like that. Which, kind of by accident, once I'm over here reading scripture, the gospels for the first time, and kind of trying to wrestle with sort of the own sin that's taking place in my late teen years, which yes, I was a horrible person when I was a late teen, um, and Christianity is kind of becoming intermixed with that, now this conversation emerges between me and me and um, philosophy, which I remember picking up a copy of Anthony Kenny's A Brief Illustrated History of Western Philosophy or An Illustrated Brief History, something like that, by Anthony Kenny. Um, it was the first text in philosophy I'd ever read, and from th basically then on, I had fallen in love with philosophy. I came to experience Socrates for the first time in a very real kind of way, in a sort of religiously significant way, I should say. 
And this gave me an outlet to view God in a little bit more of a deeper way. And once I started to see the conversation pertaining to God's existence and his Trinitarian nature and all this stuff, I started to see that this stuff is rich. There I have struck gold is essentially what's kind of going on here. And once I realized the magnitude of what's behind this sort of discipline of Christian theology and philosophy and science, that there's this whole world kind of locked away to itself that no one's really talking about. And my conversion turned into something much more deep that I had almost let the floodgates down upon myself. Um, You know, there's this beautiful quote by G.K. Chesterton. I'm forgetting the exact verbiage of it, but something to the extent of being a Christian is like almost walking along the edge of the earth just about to fall off until God, just by a single thread, pulls you back um, to safety. And kind of, I view my conversion, my conversion, um, of course, in a much more safer way than probably that analogy is alluding to. But um, I view my conversion in that similar kind of way. That just kind of as I'm over the edge and, and not really knowing, I guess, where to go in life. I'm just kind of going for, through the motions, I guess. But nonetheless, having these wrestlings within spirit that God nonetheless pulled me in. And I was introduced for the first time to the world of philosophy, of theology and, and all that. So um, as time goes on, I give up this sort of pursuit of wanting to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatrician because kids are cool. Um, but I just wanted to like be clinical and learn about them, not so much like do daycare and any of that stuff. Kids are cool. Don't get me wrong. As In fact, Peter Marshall, for those of you that are familiar with your Presbyterians, um, once said that always you should always be skeptical of a man who doesn't like dogs or babies. So that's advice you really should take with you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I wanted to be a pediatrician and um, I sort of shift gears and want to become a philosopher, particularly a professor uh, of philosophy. And so I start taking extracurricular courses at Duke University, Stanford, the University of Edinburgh, and uh, several other places. And I take these courses in logic, um, how to argue, how to write in philosophy, I took evolutionary biology at Duke. I also took uh, astronomy at Duke, which were both very difficult courses, and uh, some other classes. And so I used all these uh, credits that I was acquiring from these extracurricular courses to apply for Oxford University, which was my sort of dream school. I eventually met up with a professor from Blackfriars College whose name is slipping me right now, and I'm so embarrassed because we had a nice little friendship um, over Skype and through email correspondence for quite some time, and so he was going to kind of hook me up in an application until it got to the point where uh, the program I was supposed to be on um, to go to Oxford, uh, you know, I had to pay for it, and I didn't have any money, so I needed a job, which I got a job at Burns Steakhouse, which um, being here in Tampa, Florida, for people that are local to the area, of course, you know Burns Steakhouse. But for those that don't, uh, Burns Steakhouse is the, um, I would say, in the world, but there's a few that beat it. Um, uh, it's the world's largest privately owned wine collection. The only two that come before it is the Queen of England and the Vatican and their wine collection. But I always would joke that in my wine tours that they don't count. <laughs> so um, very large wine collection, um, a lot of awards, a lot of accolades. Um, and so I was introduced to the world of wine for the first time which I fell in love with that in a kind of side way, and I kind of started to examine, well, what do I want to do in life? Um, 
And if I became a professor in philosophy, will I be fulfilled once I've spent all this time um, studying for the subject? You know, will I be happy and etc. So I eventually became a sommelier. I got my level one sommelier certification. Um, a month after I turned 21, a few months after that, I got my level two. So through the court of master sommeliers, I am a certified sommelier to which I pursued that a little bit further. I also have my Spanish wine specialist certification from the North American Sommelier Association or NASA, <laughs> if you're a date. Uh, uh, otherwise, it's the North American Sommelier Association. But and I also have my certified wine educator from the S Society of Wine Educators. So that's fun. Um, I've mainly acquired all those certifications just because I wanted to be able to have the free movement to do whatever I wanted to in the wine world, whether or not I wanted to work in a restaurant uh, professionally being a sommelier or if I wanted to be a representative or what have you. So it's been exciting. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing now, but now I've resorted back to the world of philosophy because wine was fun and uh, COVID's hit. So sommeliers, at least at the moment, are um, somewhat invalid, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, it's given me more time to focus on philosophy and I absolutely love it. So yeah. That's my testimony. That's my conversion story. I hope you are encouraged. If not, I mean, whatever. I tried. Uh, oh, it's raining. Beautiful. Um, yeah, so as I always say at the end of these videos that at least are a little bit longer, thank you so much. God bless you for retaining the time and attention to listen. Um, be sure to follow the page if you're not already at WordPress under the same name, Hellenistic Christendom by Stephen Dunn. Also uh, at Facebook and YouTube, which you can find me at Instagram as well. And you can find me at all these places under the same name, Stephen with a V, Done, D-U-N-N, Hellenistic Christendom, etc. So thank you so much. God bless you and have a wonderful day or night. Yeah, thank you.